Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Sonia Henry. Sonia is a writer and a novelist who three years ago as a junior doctor penned an anonymous op-ed that subsequently went viral, exposing the toxic culture of medical training and the toll it takes on young doctors' lives. She segued that experience into a book, and today she's joining me to discuss her debut novel, Going Under. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to that land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture, as featured on 2SER. Now, the Great Conversations podcast is a chance to hear more of these discussions. Did you know that Great Conversations is just one of the fantastic literary podcasts from 2SER? If you need book recommendations, check out the 2SER Book Club every Tuesday with stacks of great books to discover wherever you get your podcasts. Going Under is the story of Kitty Holiday. Kitty's a surgical intern at a major teaching hospital, struggling to balance her idealism against the gruelling reality of making it in the medical world. Suffering abuse at the hands of patients and senior doctors alike, Kitty must rely on her friends if she's going to survive and continue to save lives. Join me as we discover Sonia Henry's Going Under. My name is Andrew Popel. I'm joined in the studio by Sonia Henry. Sonia is a debut author whose new novel, Going Under, takes the reader into the lives of doctors in a Sydney teaching hospital. Sonia is also Dr. Sonia Henry, who three years ago as a junior doctor penned an anonymous op-ed that subsequently went viral, exposing the toxic culture of medical training and the toll it takes on young doctors' lives. Sonia, welcome to Final Draft. Oh, hi, Andrew. Thanks. It's great to be here. Well, it's really good to have you here. And I think we have this really absolutely fascinating fourth wall breaking narrative to unpack. And I'm really excited to find out a little bit more about this this book, this incredibly pacey book that over the last few days I've been reading. Before we get started, though, what I wanted to do, um, just give the uh, the audience a little bit of a an, an intro and maybe a content warning, because in this discussion, in your book, we discuss uh, issues around mental health. Mm. Uh, the topic of suicide may come up. So, for people who will find this difficult for people whom uh, this may touch on things in their life. You might want to tune out, but know also that help is available 24-7. You can call Lifeline on 131114. So, just keep that in mind uh, as we discuss Going Under. Um, so, Sonia, Going Under, it's the story of Kitty Holiday or Dr. Katerina Holiday. Kitty's a surgical intern at a major teaching hospital and she's struggling to balance or or she's perhaps even struggling to hold on to her idealism against the gruelling reality of making it in the medical world. I also noticed Kitty's a, a reader. She's a lover of literature. Her daydreams frequently see her comparing her life with this romanticised ideal of young doctors in stories. So let's start there. Is there a problem with the way that society tells a story about the medical profession and the doctors and and the way that story kind of fails to meet up to the reality for everyone. Yeah, Andrew, first, thanks. That is amazing insight into the mm. book. Um, I really appreciate the question. Uh, look, yes, absolutely. Mm. And you've really hit the nail on the head in a message that I think almost I subconsciously knew that I wanted to send, but the fact you've picked it up is is really validating. Yes, I think young doctors, medical students and the general public all suffer from a bit of a delusion that being a doctor means that 
you're in this ivory tower and it's going to be healing and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be amazing and at the end of it it's going to lead to a wonderful public appointment and lives of more healing and perhaps the Porsche and, you know, whatever. And in reality, it's it's not really like that at all, particularly Mm -hmm. for doctors training. And I think you're so right when you have this idea that it's going to be so great and everyone thinks that when you find that that isn't quite the reality how do you burst the bubble Mm. you know like not just for you as a doctor but for the patients and for the general public i think is not something that we really wanted to know for a long time what uh i guess what narrative figures of doctors do you engage with i was trying to think as i was reading the book and also as i was preparing and really doctors don't fade into the background in literature the only exception may be the sort of the slightly aging older doctor who everyone ignores. But, you know, doctors are either villains, possibly they're the murderer because they have the, you know, the precise knowledge or they're the hero of the piece. Yes, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure there was a few doctor murderers in Agatha Christie or I'm sure some of those old school crime novels. We would be committing been. a cardinal sin of final draft here if we actually name, I can I can tell you um, who they were, but then we would be we would be naming names and spoiling and we do not do spoilers here on the show. Excellent. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I think doctors have been portrayed throughout literature and film and TV for for many, many years now. Um, But there has been recently, I suppose, a shift in how doctors are portrayed in literature. And it began, I'd say, in the 70s when Samuel Shem wrote The House of God, which was a real breakout book, which showed the brutal, gruelling training of what it was like as an intern. And he was vilified by the profession in America. But then, of course, medical students and doctors across the board loved it. And he said, um, you know, no uni wanted anything to do with him after he wrote that book. But a, a, a a resident surgeon emailed him or wrote him a letter back in the day and said, um, if it wasn't for your book, I would have killed myself. And he said after that, he thought, well, I did the right thing. And I mean, then Adam Kay's recently written, This Is Going to Hurt, which was about, you know, his struggles in the NHS, which is very yeah. irreverent and very true. And I suppose my book, off the back of those books, is of a very similar vein, where doctors aren't these heroes or these villains, they're just people. So you've touched on this, but I wonder if you could maybe elaborate for me a little bit. What power you see or what power you think we can ascribe to art and to narrative? How does a narrative like Going Under work towards a change in a way that, say, the op-ed that you wrote uh, that went viral and has been in the world for three years in a way that it might not be able to touch people? Well, I think I've thought actually quite a lot about this. And the reason why fictional narrative is powerful in a different way is because through the journey of a character, I think the general public or people who have no idea what it's like to work or, or exist in the hospital system, you know, aside from being a patient, to go on a journey with a character and relate to that character as if you're living with them, you know, the, every, every reader is alongside Kitty through all of her struggles And instead of her being a doctor lecturing them or sort of preaching to them, this is how hard it is and this is what happened. Instead, they immerse themselves in her world. And I think when we're given that insight, you know, Kitty suddenly isn't a doctor. She's more of a friend, a girlfriend, a sister, someone that people can actually relate to. And it busts open that idea of a doctor as the white coat, the ivory tower, the medical myth, because it is a myth. Okay. Um Okay. does that then put pressure on you as an author to to create something in your character? I mean, narrative has conventions, genre has conventions. 
Um, I found this very much a character-driven novel. Um, if I had to describe the story arc, first of all, I wouldn't because I would spoil things. But I found the, the going under very much more follows us alongside Kitty rather than writes an arc. We very much have a sense that this is a year in her life rather than this is a, you know, a go to woe, beginning, middle, end. That's true. Um, and, you know, I suppose when you're writing about a topic that is very close to your experience, um, and even though it's fiction, of course, I've drawn from bits of my own life or my friends' lives or, or you know, stories or articles that I've read. So it does develop an almost episodic flavouring parts. But, you know, that it was 18 months of editing with my publishers and that kind of thing. And I suppose that's the style it is because that's just how I wrote it. Mm. Um, and then I really had to kind of wrestle it into more of a narrative. Okay. I might come back to style because I do have a lot of questions, particularly particularly around uh, what I mentioned, the fourth wall breaking and um, a particular scene where, where Kitty receives a journal from her mum. But we, we, we've got time. I think it's time now to get to to some of the the issues that drive the narrative and particularly that drive Kitty's desire to pick up a pen. Mm. And that's where the problems actually lie. I found very early on in Going Under that you challenged me as a reader to question whether Kitty's difficulty. So, as a, as a young doctor, she is finding that training is hard and it's not hard because it's a hard job, although undoubtedly it is. It's hard because of the personalities that she meets and the way she is treated as if she's the bottom of the heap. Yep. When we meet Dr. Prince, we we get to see a good doctor who stands out against the egotistical and abusive characteristics of um, the doctors that Kitty nicknames the Joker and the Shark. So is it then a matter of the profession needing better people or do we have a system that just doesn't encourage that better behaviour? Look, I think it's probably largely the latter. Mm. Um, in every profession, you're going to have really good people and then you're going to have really bad people. I, I actually think medicine creates a system that encourages bad traits. And, you know, unfortunately, it's a very high-stress environment. Mm. And if you're being bullied from the word go... How do you think you're conditioned to sort of succeed? You know, mm. when it comes to the end of your training, you sort of think, well, I was treated badly, so maybe that's how I'm going to treat other people. Or if you're very tired, if you're very stressed, if mm. you're not making very much money and you've got a young baby at home or whatever is your personal situation, that kind of fatigue, stress, personal distress, mm. pressure, and then seeing people suffering does it create a nice person at the end of it? I mean, you'd be hard-pressed if you have a smile on your face after a, a system that is driven to those, uh, I suppose, extremes, I guess. There is a bit of a victim narrative there, but I also got a sense in going under that this was almost like a kind of an old Spartan-type ideal that there were there were people who honestly believed that the toughness of the training produced the right kind of end result. Yeah, and I, and I think that's still quite prevalent in some people, although the climate is changing in medicine. And I think with the recent suicides and the very high rates of um, dis distress, mental distress amongst doctors, junior and senior and medical students, I think we're starting to kind of go... Maybe the Spartan way isn't quite the best way, but it still exists, definitely. Yeah, that's a really tough lever to to initiate change because there mm. will still be old thinking that says, you know, certain people mm. just weren't going to cut it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but I've actually been surprised by the amount of very senior consultants who've reached out to me since the book's been published and it only came out two weeks ago mm. to say that they agree with me um, and the points that I've raised 
which sort of surprised me because you sort of think, oh, the old dinosaurs who are going to say, oh, well, we suffered, she's just a whinger. But it, I think the suicides, you know, a, a few doctors have killed themselves in the last few months in, in New mm. South Wales hospitals. And I think it's shaken everyone up. And I mm. think that we've had enough. Yeah. Um, young people shouldn't be killing themselves who have that much to give to society and who have worked that hard. Yeah. I think there's a problem. And yeah. I wanted to address that in my book. Yeah. And so let's come back. Let's come back to the book. Um, we've talked there about some real world examples and I don't want to say too much about the narrative twists that you give us that is there for the reader to discover it is sufficient to to note though that there are a swathe of abuses that the young doctors here suffer so we've got Kitty and she has a household of friends um, as well as like a really close network there's also the system that renders these abuses commonplace and almost untouchable Mm. a narrative arc if we think about when, when we read a story, we expect that arc to tend towards a resolution. Mm. But then you're also writing from experience. You're writing about a system that is not abstract to you. Mm. Did you feel like you could offer that in going under? Did you feel any pressure as a, as a, as a writer, as a student of literature versus someone who wanted to portray Yes, and, you know, at at times, I mean, my editors were excellent, but at times I had to sort of fight against um, some of their suggestions. I mean, all their suggestions were excellent and they made it a much better book and editors do that. But there were some aspects where they wanted more of a resolution at the end, you know, what does the hospital decide to do about this particular crisis? There's not really... Mm. But I deliberately left that open because I think in my experience, that's sort of how it is. I didn't want to neatly wrap everything up, not to want to spoil the ending. Um, And also some other aspects of the book where um, they were sort of like, this is a bit sudden, this bit. It's a bit out of the narrative arc that she then Mm. has these thoughts, you know, in the operating theatre. Why would she be thinking that? And and I don't think the readers will like that. And I said, no, I wanted to put that in. I agree it's a bit out of the narrative arc, but... I wanted to shock the reader a bit Mm. and to also feel like that actually happens. You know, these things, it's not just like X, Y, Z, doctors, hospitals, the end. It's they're human beings having very sudden thoughts that can Mm. seem completely out of context. So I suppose, yeah. yeah. I thought one quite nice thing that you did there in in terms of being able to have resolution without resolution is quite quite late um, in the piece, Kitty visits her parents Mm -hmm. and she's gifted... A notebook from her mum. Mm. And it's a bit kitsch and it's absolutely perfect for Kitty. And in it, she begins to write her story yes. and, and to, to record her thoughts. And you, you very deliberately record a couple of thoughts that are at the beginning of going under. So I, I got in that the recursive nature of the story. I got in that the experience that this is going to be a period of time, not so much a, a story arc per se. Was there ever any uh, doubt or worry in your mind that people would start to too closely identify you with Kitty? Um, look, I think that's a bit unavoidable, particularly people that I know. But and, and I see Kitty almost as my younger sister in some ways that I never had. And I really found it incredibly therapeutic to appropriate mm. the experiences I was having through this character. And Kitty is sort of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern-esque to me. She lurches from one crisis to the next and she's dealing with death and suffering and love and all these huge concepts. And 
every now and again I, I sort of think about her and I go, oh, that poor girl, she just had no idea what she was getting herself into. And I think, yeah, Kitty is is me, but she's also not me. And when friends of mine read the book, they understood that. They sort of said, oh, I see what you mean now. Like I thought I was going to read this book and I was just going to feel like it was about you, but now I get that she's this sort of almost version of you that I've mm. created in this fictional planet it's 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 like a Doctor Who. Do you like Doctor Who? It's like a mm. Doctor Who parallel universe almost. There was one small moment that I actually found absolutely intriguing and I wanted to pick up with you. You reference quite early on and then you come back to it quite late on uh, the Japanese aesthetic philosophy of wabi-sabi. It's often recognised for this practice of repairing items using a gold filling mm. and it seeks to explore this sort of idea around the beauty of impermanence. Mm. I wondered what appealed to you about this and also if you felt that these are ideals that could have a bearing and influence on, if not Western medicine, at least some of the practices that you describe. Yeah, definitely. Actually, there was a time when I wanted to call the book Precious Scars, mm. which is you know what happens in, in that practice where they fill the defect with gold. Mm. And, and then the, the outcome is that even though it was a damaged piece of sculpting or whatever, mm. when they fill the defect with the gold, it becomes more beautiful in the end anyway and creates something entirely different. But my publishers didn't think that would sell, so <laughs> we got going under. Um, yeah, I think just as humans, that concept of being imperfect but still very beautiful is very interesting. And I think as a doctor, I really embrace that concept because you're seeing sick people, dying people, unwell people, but they're still human. And I think the beauty of humanity is in its perfect imperfection. And I've always firmly believed that. And that's why I love that idea Mm. of the Japanese art. Would it require, though, uh, perhaps a letting go of some of the ideas that, I mean, you, you describe as being quite harmful. I mean, particularly uh, ideas around metrics and measurements and um, something that, I, I again, I don't think is spoiling the the idea that doctors are, are always very risk-averse if, mm, yeah. uh, if it's going to ruin their um, being Christ's death count. Um, mm. The idea that death is, is inevitable, it is something that we are perhaps postponing but can't do forever – Um, The beautiful impermanence of life means that we have to accept some of these things. Yeah, and that's so interesting. I had a chat with a friend who's a cardiac surgeon uh, a few weeks ago. One of his patients had died. And, you know, know, in cardiac surgery, 1% of your patients are going to die as Mm. par for the course, unfortunately. And he said, you know, I I did everything I could and they still died. And I said, but on an existential level, life is impermanent. It's so Mm. correct. And as a doctor, maybe not as a surgeon, but as a human that's something you have to get your head around. And I don't think a lot of doctors are very good at that um, because we want to prolong life and we want mm. to make people better. But in the end, how much can we really control? Yeah, and that's that, always, that I've always found a really strange kind of philosophical approach from something that is very uh, uh, data-driven. Yeah. I mean, the data tells us 100% of us will die. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, no, I, 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 I was qu- I was quite interested in some of the ways that you engaged, perhaps peripherally, around uh, ideas and thinking about data of evidence-based practice. There was a moment where you talked about mindfulness and this idea that mindfulness um, – would, would be quite good. Kitty would benefit if she could ever go to these mindfulness sessions. There is mm. evidence to suggest that mindfulness. Mm. But the, the practice that is driven by an evidence base does not allow that evidence base to exert itself on the very practitioners. And that gets, that gets quite 
Yeah. Um, it did connect, though, with some other reading that I've done. We're going to go down a wormhole here, but yeah. around the idea. So evidence-based practice, it works in a closed system that ignores the messiness of life. It ignores all the externalities because externalities are, are terrible. Yeah. Another really good example of this that we're understanding more and more is the gender data gap and particularly the way medical research privileges men and ignores women. Did you want readers to engage with these ideas or have I gone down that wormhole I already mentioned? No. In fact, I find your line of questioning fascin- like fascinating. It's sort mm. of like you're taking my ideas out of my own head mm. and, and making them I have also considered these concepts. Yes, life is very messy and yet medicine is very, very rigid. But then we talk about the art of medicine and the beauty of medicine. So therefore, shouldn't medicine be more flexible and less rigid? But then in today's society, we're very litigious. We have Google, we have Mm. the internet, we have private health insurance, we have corporatization of hospitals. So the beauty and the art of medicine, I think in many ways has been lost Mm. by the current society that we live in. Um, But... You know, I think that this idea of the external things in life that you said, I, I agree, they're very messy. They they mess up the data and they mess up the perfect structure mm-hmm. that we have in hospitals. But it, you can't avoid it, right? Mm-hmm. Even doctors can't avoid it because, like we said, people will die. People will get sick. Doctors will be sued or whatever will happen because in the end, human beings cannot be pushed into boxes and, and told this is is exactly how it's going to be. All right, so as we approach the end of the conversation, I'm speaking with Sonia Henry and we're discussing her, her debut novel, Going Under. Um, I'm going to try and and ask a question that doesn't end with the idea that, well, it just comes down to education and we've just got to teach the next generation. But um, <laughs> Although so often that that is a, that yeah, is a yeah. solution. We have, well, we yeah. can't do anything about the current generation. They're, you know, they're too, too fixed gone. in their ways. Um, there is an absolutely horrific scene um, where Estelle, one of Kitty's friends, has to intubate a a young child. Um, She's let down by senior peers. She's let down by the sort of the system that she's in the middle of. Um, You do refer back to to literature. Kitty is a fan of literature and, and more philosophical approaches to life, whereas science is a little bit more absolutist. Does that absolutist system and approach sell us short? I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. Um, And I've actually recently become involved with a group called Gathering of Kindness, which is run by doctors, highly specialised, experienced doctors, um, who have recognised that this very rigid, um, absolutist system is not serving us. It's not serving our mental health, and I don't really think it's serving our patients either. And they talk about the idea of introducing things like art, music, literature, into medicine, whether that is the answer, probably not, but I think it at least opens up our minds to considering broader concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a friend who uh, left the hospital system to start a concept called Beauty Within Medicine mm-hmm. because she recognised that we were being taught in anatomy books as medical students. Every model is a Caucasian male. So uni students leave hospital and they've been taught to do examinations on white Caucasian males. But patients, of course, are female, transgender, have had mastectomies, uh, you know, have uh, amputees. And it's such a shock for medical students to then see what real humans look like because we're being conditioned by mm. these constructs, yeah. if you like. And I think Lucy, who is my friend who's running these infographic textbooks that show patients as they really are and and the beauty of that. And I think her idea is excellent. And that sort of thing is probably the way forwards.
Okay, so we have delved into a lot of issues. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out um, Lifeline's number again because we have discussed mental health. We have discussed suicide. It is a, it's a really tough thing to approach. And if this has brought up anything for anyone out there, you can call Lifeline anytime on 131114. Now, the discussion has been around Sonia Henry's fabulous debut novel, Going Under. Um, it got quite philosophical, and as is the way with, with philosophy, Sonia, uh, we've probably asked more questions than we've offered answers. And that's probably as it should be, uh, because one, people can go out and buy your book um, <laughs> and, and find out a little bit more, but also also because this isn't a, a quick solution. And I think going under is a fabulous way for people to get a little bit of understanding of a system that we only perhaps touch from a, a very specific angle. No, thanks, Andrew. Your questions were amazing. Um, they really, really made me think, actually. They really made me think. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That's it for this great conversation with Sonia Henry. Sonia's new novel is Going Under, and it's out now through Alan and Unwin. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture by following us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. And go to your podcast app, wherever you're listening right now. You can subscribe not only to the Great Conversations podcast, but to the 2SER Book Club and more great podcasts from 2SER. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more Great Conversations. Until then, happy reading.